With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a great day to come back and win the way we did. And, um, and um, you know, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to uh, build on it. Um, I think it's fun to look down and see that Dalvin had 190 yards from scrimmage. Justin had 12 catches for 120. You know, KJ, Adam caught a touchdown, made the biggest play at the end there to, to get us in field goal range. So, um, you know, it's great to get so many guys involved and, and have so many people contribute. And, um, um, you know, just proud of the way we kept fighting and played. But there's also a lot of stuff I'm not proud of, you know, with the way we played. That jacket. That wife jacket. His wife said, you're wearing it. And he's like, I don't know. And she said, no, got to do it. And did you guys see the Kirk Cousins tweet last night? No, I don't think I did. He tweeted out at 7.40 p.m. last night. We were doing a live edition of Purple Daily. This is Pete Kirk Cousins tweet. Can someone explain to me the differences between these three brands? L.L. Bean, Land's End, and Eddie Bauer. Those are the exact rebrands that you would think Kirk, Kirk Cousins, Cousins wears. Would. Yeah. <laughs> What? Oh my God! That's oh awesome. man! So wait. So on that jacket, you're telling me it wasn't planned that he didn't have that jacket stored away for some big momentous game because it because it looked to me like okay they didn't like plan to have the greatest comeback in NFL history but yep. they were gonna wait for some like fourth quarter comeback some big win or a dagger or something and he's gonna he's been he's had that jacket in his locker for the last month that his wife just, like, made him wear it on that day. That was – so if they had lost that game 51-3. to Right. He walking up to the podium in that Vikings sport coat. From Sunday Star Tribune, Jim Suhan's column. (laughs) Can you imagine? Second paragraph, quoting quote of Kirk, okay? So this is not Jim. This is Kirk. My wife dresses me. She put it out last night, and I looked at her and said – I don't know. She nodded. Said, <laughs> I don't know. Said, you've got to, you've got to do it. So here we are. Now, if they had continued to get smoked by the Colts, I gotta believe he aborts mission on the jacket. He just but, goes up there in the dress shirt or like a Vikings or he's got sweatshirt or something. His, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> he said she picked it out on Friday night. I just I need to know I need to know if that game ends the way that it started. Does he wear the jacket at the post game? Just a shameful post game press conference. Uh, Kirk, you guys got beat there, uh, fifty five to ten by the Colts. Still haven't clinched the division. Uh, how you feeling? He's just up there 
a Viking sport coat with no shirt on underneath, just head sunken. Amazing. Um, well, this is a good segue, I think, into our statements Monday on Mackie and Judd. Let's start with this one, boys. Don't F with noon Kirk Cousins. F around and find out. 460 yards passing. And I'm, I'm going to blend two statements into one here. We talked about this a little bit on the uh, the Sunday night Purple Daily episode. Don't F with noon Kirk Cousins on any day. I don't care if it's Saturday or Sunday. And don't F with the fourth quarter Pharaoh, the dagger doctor, the secondary slayer, Mr. Game-winning drive, Mr. Fourth quarter comeback. According to Stathead, he is now one fourth quarter comeback away from the single season record set by Matthew Stafford in 2016. Stafford had eight for that Lions team in 2016. Cousins now has seven, tied with 2016 Derek Carr and 2009 Peyton Manning. So if he can get one more and also have the greatest, largest comeback in the history of the NFL under his belt in one season, yep, he will go down. I mean, even with, ju- with just this right here, if, not, if he doesn't do anything the rest of the season, he's already going to be regarded because of his work this year late in games as one of the great fourth-quarter comeback architects. He has to be. We talked about Frank Reich for 30 years because of one game, Bills versus Oilers. That's how Kirk, unless somebody else comes around with a 34-point comeback in the next 10 years, that's how Kirk will and should be remembered, I think, now. I think that's incredibly fair. And look, what Kirk Cousins has done as far as fourth-quarter comebacks and game-winning drives, really the last two years, but especially, obviously, this season, it's been absolutely off the charts. And like we talked about on our uh, live edition of Purple Daily last night, I mean, Kirk Cousins on Saturday did what MVPs do. He took a situation that was hopeless. He wasn't playing well. He was playing terribly, and the team was as well. And he didn't come out and have a good second half. He had a ridiculous second half. I mean, mm-hmm. the stats, mm-hmm. the last uh, the last two games, what's the stats have been incredible now now you've got a loss and you've got a terrible half of football followed by a great one um but you know it's my estimation that what i want from an mvp quarterback is a guy that can lift you especially in moments when all hope appears gone and Kirk cousins did exactly that so yeah um i think it's very fair to say that in a year that won't be for in a year that i think will be defined as the year of the kirk comeback um the signature of that is now set in stone, and it's what he did on Saturday. Yeah, he is. So I'm just pulling up. I'm pulling up this. Uh, there's a website that you can you can check uh, expected points added and some other analytical things. And right now, I think this is accurate. This is amazing. So in close fourth quarter games, of which part of that fourth quarter did not qualify, part of that fourth quarter was still kind of garbage time until it wasn't. And then it became not garbage time, and then it became clutch time. Uh, But here are the NFL leaders among quarterbacks. Close fourth quarter overtime games. Expected points added from a quarterback position. So this is an analytically uh, driven metric here. I'll give you the top. I'll give you the top uh, seven. Starting from seven, Geno Smith. Lamar Jackson, six. Aaron Rodgers, five, actually. Matt Ryan has played well in some fourth quarters, has some fourth quarter comebacks this year. Joe Burrow, Kirk Cousins number two behind Patrick Mahomes. 
in terms of fourth quarter overtime close game performances this year? Fair or not, when we look back, how is history going to remember the choke jobs in which Matt Ryan was now involved? Because the Super Bowl was already brutal. I have a... But, like, how is history going to paint him? I, well, that I, might be a good segue I, to that. I have a statement. Yeah, I have exact. Oh. I wrote that. I wasn't going to use this. It wasn't going to be my my fastball off the start, but uh, but I'll bring it up. My statement is Matt Ryan has two black eyes on his Hall of Fame resume. I mean, two massive black eyes on his resume. He won an MVP. He was a first round pick. He was a very good quarterback for the Falcons. Very good quarterback. But he is responsible for now two of the worst comebacks of all time. He's on the other side of it. I understand he's not playing defense, but dude, you now you score once in the second half. You yeah, can try that. It's it's not hard. It's not that difficult. And for whatever reason, he now has two massive black eyes on his Hall of Fame resume. I don't think he's a first bout Hall of Famer. Um, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. And and he legitimately now for two games, literally, if you maybe they win that Super Bowl. And whatever it is, and or even they lost that Super Bowl and they just got blown out, right? Let's say the it was the opposite. Let's say the Patriots just ran them out the door. Um, but he doesn't have that nasty comeback against him. He doesn't have this one against him. I can make a case probably down the road. Matt Ryan has a case to be in Canton, not a first ballot, but he has a case. These two black eyes, these nasty comebacks against him. I think it's going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame, man. Yeah, I think he's there. It's hard to just look at statistics now because, like, almost every quarterback puts up right. absurd numbers now. So we have to have some standards when it comes to evaluating modern quarterbacks. There needs to be a special like Tony Romo, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan bin where, and and quite frankly, Kirk Cousins, I think, is is emerging into this bin. And maybe he can, if he ever wins a Super Bowl, maybe he goes a bin higher. But there is like a Matt Ryan, Tony Romo, Philip Rivers, probably another guy or two Stafford. in there. I think Stafford might be higher now because he has a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's huge. It, sure, it, I think it yeah. elevates him a little bit. No. But, yeah, he's borderline Hall of Fame. If he puts together a few more good seasons, the Super Bowl is going to help him. Mm-hmm. But we have to have some standards. It can't just be like, oh, you threw for a bunch of yards over 15 right. years. Okay, well, almost everyone did. But you're right. If he just closes out that 28-3 to lead, isn't it amazing? He he has now blown the biggest regular season and Super Bowl leads. Like, how is that? And it's, again, the defense blew it. But you could score more than three points in the second half and put the game to bed, and they were unable to. And it's not even a full game. It's two halves individually, right? Like, it's, this, it's the second half of the Super Bowl. It's the second half of this Colts game. It's not like he was historically bad for both of the whole portions of the game. I could argue he wasn't great yesterday in the first half, just the one offensive touchdown. But it's two halves that are going to prevent him from being in Canton. 100%. I, I don't know. I, if, if he had won the Super Bowl, I think that there's a case. I, I'm, I'm with Phil. I don't know that he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. But the problem is this. If you, if you were to put him in Canton and do his plaque tomorrow, these two games would lead the plaque. Yeah. Like Matt yeah. Ryan had a career <laughs> yeah. in which his team blew a 28-3 Super Bowl lead. Um, I think you would be a lot more, if, if the Super Bowl didn't take place, if that blown lead, and I think we as fans would probably be a lot more likely to forget the, the fact that he was at QB for this game because, you know, the defense collapsed. But that being said, when you have both of them, I mean, they bookend his career. Yeah. They're, they're the bookends to the man's career. I watched that Super Bowl collapse alone in this Hubbard studio. 
because I was running the board on Sunday Night Baseball that, that night. Wow. I was alone watching that Super Bowl collapse. Cutting Sunday your teeth. Baseball. Cutting my teeth. Making sure Sunday. that, you know, or uh, not Sunday Night Baseball, because it would have been February. It was probably ESPN radio, <laughs> actually. So it was definitely glorified babysitting. So you had a Sunday night shift babysitting an automated feed of ESPN uh-huh. radio watching, while you watched that Watch the greatest comeback or greatest collapse <laughs> uh, of all time. Yeah. Wowza. Amazing. All right, over to Judd. He's now atop the list. The he being Kevin O'Connell, head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Kevin O'Connell is now, in my opinion, the had the most impressive first season of any Vikings coach in the history of the franchise. Now, it's a very short list of, of Vikings coaches who have come in and finished with a winning record in year one. That list is Jerry Burns, who went nine and seven in his first year after Bud went seven and nine. I believe Bud came back in 85. Uh, Dennis Green was atop this list previously. He led the Vikings to a Wild card round, 11-5 and five finish in 92. But when you look at what O'Connell has done now, and you look at the fact that, that this team has now officially clinched the division, if I'm not mistaken, the Vikings did go in in uh, Green's first year as a wild card team as well, not just playing in that first round, because these Vikes will play in that round as well. But what O'Connell has done, 11 wins with uh, three games left, Division clinched uh, a remarkable, a remarkable job and no question playing a key role in the turnaround of Kirk Cousins from statistical marvel to winner. If you look at what O'Connell has done, it's now my belief that Kevin O'Connell is a top of the list. If I had to rank the first year of Vikings coaches, it would now go O'Connell, Green, and Burns. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, – I, I think you're right. How do you – it, this is such a weird season to judge because, like, they've had so many meltdowns in the first half or third quarters that make you pull your hair out. But at the end of the games, like, he has these guys just charged up and constantly coming back from the grave. But there's so many leaky things defensively. They've had one of the worst defenses in the NFL, and offensively, they disappear for like an hour of real time. I think it feels like overall he has drastically elevated. I guess if I could phrase it differently, it feels like the talent level of the team, that the output of wins is higher than the talent level of the team. It feels like they're overachieving based on who they have on their roster. Like, they have a, they don't have a train wreck roster. They have a good roster, but it's going to be one of the two or three best records in the NFL when it's all said and done. And so even though there's been leaky defense and some other things here and there and, like, some mental lapses, uh, overall, he is elevating this thing more than Mike Zimmer did. Absolutely. And I look, I don't think that, that he got the DC right. I, I think I think Ed in retrospect was a mistake and O'Connell yeah. O'Connell thought, well, he knows the guy that knows the guy that turned this thing around and so it's gonna work. Uh but you know what? If we had all sat down and talked about one thing specifically, the day that O'Connell got the job, which is and we did, what's he gonna do with Kirk? What's he gonna do with Jefferson? Like he was brought here and he he made that clear from day day one. I am an offensive first head coach um as far as Kirk goes I don't think that you could ask for more like he's taken a guy who I think in some ways mentally was broken and he's fixed him um he has maximized Jefferson aside from like a few halves here and there you couldn't ask for more 
So everything that O'Connell, the reasons he was brought here, some of the some of the infrastructure still definitely has to be worked on and is not perfect. But the main reasons why he was hired to replace Zim, which is we want a guy that can associate with the quarterback, who can lift him, who can most importantly lift the offense to a 2022 place. Um, and what he's got from Kirk, I think is really impressive. Yeah. Okay, Not next statement. Next statement. The first half of that game was, from my recollection, the worst half of football I've ever seen the Vikings play. I started making a list of just all the things that went terribly wrong. And this is a, a partial list probably, but so they start the game with just a fart noise three and out and then a Dalvin fumble after a big run on the second drive, right? Yep. They had special teams disasters to start the game. You had the, the, the huge kick return by the Colts to midfield and then the blocked punt. And that all led to a 17 nothing Colts lead after the first few drives. And then you get desperate. Okay, oh my God, we're down by 17. What are we going to do? It's fourth and one from our own 32. Let's try going for it. Fart noise. And then the next drive, okay, it's another fourth and one from, like, the same spot. Well, we can't just line up and go for it because that didn't work last time. Let's try a fake punt. Let's have our punter throw the ball to our fifth-string rookie receiver. Same play, too, that we've run before. (laughs) Yeah. Fart noise. And then Justin Jefferson got hurt on a drive in the second quarter. You thought his day might be done. Um, Then the Kirk Cousins, really the Jalen Rager pick six. So, and there's more too, like some penalties and different things, but it was, and just when you thought, man, 17, nothing, how can this get any worse? It was like, there's still five things that are going to go horribly wrong in the first half. So I, I don't even know how they were able to come out for the second half, let alone come all the way back and win that game, you know, 39 to 36, but that is probably the worst half of football I've ever seen the Vikings play in my 30 plus years watching this team. The incredible thing about that statement too, is this, um, it wasn't because they had quit. They really played that bad. Like, like let's go back. Let's go back to some of the Zim first halves that were epically bad. 2016, same stadium, same team. Colts, right? Mm-hmm. They quit in that game. Like they were mad at. Yeah, Zimmer. Peterson kind of forced his way back in. It was and people weren't a, all into it. Yeah. It was a gong show, and but it was a gong show that was self-inflicted. I felt. Um, let's go back to what the Falcons game from 2020 Falcons game. That team was a mess by, you know, and Kirk was awful and Kirk and Kirk was flustered. Um, oh, the bills for first half in the game that I believe if I'm not mistaken back then, the Vikings at home were 16 and a half point favorites against Buffalo. Yeah. That game had a little bit of an explanation in that they were dealing with a, with behind the scenes and Everson Griffin mental health crisis that I think shook the whole team. And then they just weren't ready for the punch that they got. But yes, and this one, and to your point in this one, they come back and you never, I never felt like they had quit. I felt like the team was a mess, Yeah, but like, I never looked at that team and said, they have given up. I'm like, they're this horse bleep today. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was amazing. Can we uh we'll get to some more statements here shortly, but I do want to get to a what are you doing guy presented by our friends over at Underdog. Uh show us your betting slips on a weekly basis. What do you got for us this time, Declan? Uh I got uh, a, a decent amount. I have uh, Keaton sent me a nice little betting slip that got a three-item parlay over the weekend. I got a lot of DMs, a lot of ats uh, in the in the old on the Twitter sphere. Even got uh, some some numerous slips that people won this week in Underdog Fantasy. You can join with Underdog Fantasy a promo code SCORE S K O R and they'll match your first deposit. 
up to $100. Some cross-sport entry, too. I saw some slips of people winning some tickets on the Timberwolves game yesterday, even as well. So you can you can do mix you can mix sports up. You can do football and NBA in the same pick em slip. Go join Underdog Fantasy with promo code SCORE, S-K-O-R, and they'll match your first deposit up to $100. Uh, hey, our friends at St. Thomas are playing Division One basketball, hockey, football season, ended with a conference championship in just their second year Division One. Uh, if you're looking for a fun little holiday event this week, a couple games to take note of. The St. Thomas men's basketball team battles North Dakota tonight on this Monday, and then NDSU on Wednesday. Division One hoops action for just $15. TommySports.com to get your tickets. That's TommySports.com to get your tickets. All of those games can be heard on 1500 ESPN Radio. And a shout-out to our friends at Federated. Federated Mutual Insurance Company, uh, helping to navigate the choppy waters of business and the smooth waters, too. They're there for all weathers and all seasons of uh, of your business ownership. They've been partnering and guiding business uh, is since 1904, based in Owatonna, Minnesota. You can find them online, find a full list of industries that they protect, federatedinsurance.com, where it's our business, to protect yours. All right, it's time for another episode of What Are You Doing, Guy? <laughs> And uh, I had this one in my head. I think we already did this like a couple weeks ago, but it warrants doing it again. And it even magnified more in primetime last night watching the NFC East clash. But these officials, starting with the Vikings game, blowing plays dead before they need to. I think Chandon Sullivan was the victim twice. So didn't he recover the fumble in the second quarter? Yeah, he's the guy both times. That they ruled down. And then, uh, and then again in the fourth quarter, yeah. Forward progress was stopped. Was it? How many times do you see guys fighting for yards and they they wait till he's down or pushed back five or ten yards? When they're hand fighting and he's not moving backwards, like, you don't blow that play dead right away. So stop stop blowing plays dead when you aren't 100% sure. And last night you saw it against uh, the, the Giants and the Commanders, and it was a key, like, Commander's driving late in the game. Taylor Heineke is about to go down. Ball gets punched out. Giants pick it up, run it all the way back for a touchdown. But the officials come in adamantly, blowing their whistles, waving their hands in the air. Like, no, he was down by contact. Well, they did overturn it and give the ball to the Giants, but they would have had a touchdown. They ran the ball back for a touchdown. So Same thing. these officials who continue to blow plays dead, not really knowing what they're seeing. What are you doing, guys? <laughs> come on. This Trey Blake crew, though, should not work another Never, game this season. Ever again. They, oh were, they, they went beyond that. Like, I, I'm with you, you know, and if you're doing it to protect the players, this is professional football, okay? I understand we're concerned about concussions and plays being done, and I get, I get that you're trying to protect players, but these guys are paid a lot to play this sport. This is not protecting kids. So let the play play out, and hopefully no one gets hurt. But if they do, it's part of the job. Second of all, though, this Trey Blake crew is should. This is one of the worst games I've ever seen officiated. Like beyond that, yeah. the Sullivan calls were awful. The forward progress one I didn't like at all, but you could d- debate it. The second one was inexcusable. But I mean, they spotted the ball wrong on when when Matt Ryan took a knee because they spotted the Ryan Wright punt at the two. That ball was down at the one. Like, that might seem small. It ain't small. He can't take a knee if that ball is at the one and spotted correctly. They miss calls on both teams. Like, I am not complaining about official guy because my team got screwed guy. 
But I, but they screwed both teams. Mm-hmm. They couldn't do their job. This that crew spot. What was the deal with that spot? That was like he literally he literally had the ball inside the one yard line. What did they? Did sure. they think that he like took a step forward or something? They were terrible. No, I think they just sucked at their jobs. <laughs> like that, that's the thing is we take. It's easy to criticize officiating, and I've always defended these guys to the extent of the rule book is stupidly big. Like, they're asked to look for way too much. A human being can't. But that crew was what happens when you can't operate. That was like a high school crew, and that's an insult to high school officials. Yeah, man. Take them out of circulation. Just bench them. What are you doing, guys? Come on. Come on. All right. Let's keep it moving here. Statements on Mackie and Judd on this Monday. Let's. Uh, I think Declan's sure. in line here to go first. Why don't you? Why don't you lead us up? All right. Let, let, let's. Let, let's get down to business here. Greg Joseph. Nails. That is my statement. Greg Joseph. <laughs> nails. Dating back his last seven games now hasn't missed a field goal. Perfect. Eleven for eleven. Let's Yesterday, four for let's four go. on extra points. The let's week before go. that, two for two on extra points. The week Where before that, from, three for that? three against extra Dad, points. Get the flag. Greg Joseph. Nails. Hammer. Finch. Home solutions. Greg Joseph. Nails. Wrong one. You're showing the wrong guy. You're showing the wrong guy. I'm used to Mackie being in the middle. That's why I, it, it's muscle memory. But Greg Joseph. Wait, how long? how long has it been since he's missed a field goal? He has not missed a field goal since week eight against Arizona. He's he missed is. a couple extra points in there, I think. He right? has missed two extra points in there. Oh, Santa, Santa Claus. Santa's all dead. Zolgad Claus has made an appearance oh, oh, oh. here. Yeah, 11 for 11 in his last seven games on field goals. 17 for 19 in extra points. He has missed two extra points in the seven games there. Uh, but I'd actually argue the missed extra point against the Buffalo Bills, as I'd had in my hot take uh, after that game, was that was good news because it made the Vikings be aggressive and not That's settle almost- for a field goal. So, strategically sound yeah. move by Greg Joseph. Yeah, he knew what the team needed. Yes, yes, yes. No, no. And uh, Greg Have Joseph. any of those field goals come from 50-plus yards? Uh, I can't see one? that information. Uh, it looks I like... One, I, I think one might have. Yeah, so this I season like he's he he's two for seven, and I want to say he was one for five to start, I think. He was one for five or one for six to start. Yeah. So he definitely has a 50-yarder. He's, he's got a 50-yarder in there, for sure. Right. But yeah. Greg Joseph. I hope he keeps up. I hope he keeps he's up. bouncing back. Do you do you trust him a little more now, Judd, than you did, like to make a game-winning playoff kick or something? Oh, that was God. a pressure kick, man. That was it a, was, and I give him credit. It was a forty-yarder yes. for the greatest comeback in NFL history. No, so it was it, it was no small it was no small accomplishment. I don't trust him because I feel like the second I say <laughs> that, that I do, I'm going to jinx it completely, and he's going to. He's going to shank a 33-yard <laughs> field goal to beat the Commanders at uh, in the wildcard playoff round. So, no, I'm going to say I don't trust him. I think it's better luck to say that. All right, All right we're back to you here. Okay. Grinch. All right. I'm not Grinch. I'm Judd Claus. All right. Sports Dad says this. Give him the damn ball. Who am I talking about? You know who I'm talking about. K.J. Osborne. Wow. K.J. Osborne emerged on Saturday as what we expected probably – Weeks ago, which is a number two receiver who is a compliment to J.J., who is a threat. K.J.'s day, 10 catches, 157 yards, a touchdown. Um, 
I think that we had grown skeptical of, of KJ's ability because it was very clear the coaching staff and KOC mostly wasn't utilizing him as much as we thought. And so we thought, you know what? We trust KOC's football acumen and judgment offensively, especially. And KJ must not be as big a part of the offense as we expected for a reason. Well, Saturday sort of disproved that. Uh, Saturday also proved that if you use the receivers in this depth chart order, you're going to have more success. Justin Jefferson, clear cut one. He's one, two, three, and four, which is cool. Uh, KJ Osborne's two. Thielen is three. And Adam Thielen, make no mistake, as Kirk said postgame on Saturday, played a very important role and made some key catches and one huge catch. But he was used correctly, which is to say catching the ball without a need to gain yards. Osborne, look at Osborne and Jefferson's yardage total. Yeah. Um, so give him the damn ball. Going forward, I don't even think this is an adjustment. I think that this is just a pure swap. Thielen falls into a role where if you need a catch, he can catch the ball. But if you need yards, I'm looking to 17 after I'm looking to 18. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because it, it felt going into the season like, okay, I'm not saying K.J. Osborne is like a number one receiver waiting to be unleashed, but he showed some major signs in, in uh, you know, the Zimmers last season of just being able to maybe rise up. And then he was just invisible for most of the first three months. And then to have this breakout performance, you wonder, okay, is it is he has he just been schematically sort of hidden? Has Kirk just and they've also had some misconnections where you know yeah. KJ maybe had his hands on a ball and then it got tipped for an interception or uh, so he hasn't been the most reliable of targets himself at times, but he's still kind of a mystery. What is he? Is he a guy <laughs> that can do this on a more regular basis and be a true number two, or is it just a fun pop up game in a in a second half where the Colts were playing off coverage or something. I, I don't know what to make of it until he follows up with a little bit more. My question is this on because you're you're right, that there have been some picks that Kirk threw that were going KJ's way and yeah. there have been some uh definite misses. Does that cause the Vikings to go away from him or was the strategy always like that that's what I can't tell because every time that KJ gets a chance and plays well he doesn't do things that I think are a fluke. It's not like I watch him and I'm like, that's a fluke, right? Like he does things where, where I, I think, okay, if you accept the fact that there might be some hiccups at times, he's still going to be a threat. And I love the fact that he can get yards after the catch. I love that fact. And it's not his fault. And we've been talking about this for a month now, but Adam can't do that anymore. He can catch the ball. He's got unbelievable hands. But once he catches the ball, that is where the ball basically is going to lie. Yep. Okay, kind of uh, along these same lines in terms of evaluating what the Vikings have at wide receiver or not. My statement is, ah, now I get it. Jalen Rager. Oh. Because the Eagles, oh, they, they drafted this guy in the first round, and they just kind of bailed on him after a couple of years. All right, I guess nice little, little buy low. Trade by the Vikings. You know, he's got some speed, some explosiveness. He's had a couple big plays catching passes down the field. Like, oh, maybe they can incorporate him in more and see what they've got. He's a first-round pick for a reason, right? Now I get it after watching him more. So he was responsible directly for one of the interceptions, indirectly or directly for the stopping his route on the other one. But, like, he was the target on the interceptions by Kirk. The one that was uh, 
return back for a pick six. Rager sits in the zone. Kirk drops back. Arm goes back. He's about to throw it, and, and Rager then just, like, moves three feet to his right, and the ball goes right to a defender. So I don't know what – there's there's no chemistry between Rager and Kirk, It's it would seem. And this is an incredible stat for people wondering, hey, Jalen Rager's kind of a burner. Maybe you could have him as an outside deep threat, a guy that can stretch the field, right? So after that game on Saturday, three years of Jalen Rager in the NFL, quarterbacks are – Five for 28 when throwing the ball to him 20 yards in the air or more. Zero touchdowns, five interceptions. So basically, when you're doing anything other than trinket plays short to Jalen Rager, it's going to be a disaster. Incomplete pass at best, interception on five of the 28 throws. So that's uh, that's not good. And I, I kind of get it now. I apologized. I think it was Saturday late in the day for my for my hardcore take because, of course, I got you know, and rightfully so, I got the response. What do you think now, Zolgad? Rager deep threat now, Zolgad. Yeah. And I'm like, I apologize. I'm sorry. I was totally wrong. You I'm not going to try and defend like, this. I, I was totally wrong. I mean, it's th- weird. Those two. You know what? A lot of times it's so nuanced that when a receiver runs a wrong route on a pick. You blame Kirk, right? Because it's like you don't really see that he ran the wrong route. And then you might find out, you might not. How many times have you seen in the pros, so not a college thing, that not once but twice in the same game, it's so apparent that the receiver was totally at fault? It doesn't really happen that much. And Kirk did did a good job, too. I think after one of them, he kind of came over and, like, consoled Jalen Rager a little bit. I think Tom Brady would have just, like, lit him on fire on the sidelines. I think O'Connell O'Connell was pissed and said something. And Kirk's like, hey, man, it's okay. Yeah. And and they're going to need him at some point. He's going to – at some point, they're going to need him to pick up a big, like, 30-yard chunk, like, a couple weeks ago. But you just can't – you can't trust that guy on deep passes. It's The numbers speak for themselves. Five for 28, zero touchdowns, five interceptions. Throw those balls to Jalen Rager at your own risk, I guess. All right, back to deck. All right. My statement is no need to get too cute. So I found some data to back this up now. Uh, So on third and one this season, the Vikings have run 14 rushing plays. Third and extra, I'm third and uh, third and two or less. So. Third and two, third and one. The Vikings have run the ball 14 times, and they have converted 12 first downs in those situations. So third and two or less, 85% success rate when rushing on third and two or less. For whatever reason, third and two or less, Kevin O'Connell has drawn up 32 passing plays. Wow. 32 passing plays. The Vikings are only converting on 53% of those third and two and less situations. Wow. So for whatever reason, Kevin O'Connell, it's, I, I get it. We're, we're kind of trying to change the m- traditional thinking, but sometimes I think keeping it simple in very short situations is the right way to go here. And for whatever reason, he continues to dial up a lot of p- third down passes on short to go situations, and it doesn't really convert very well. So yeah, 85%. Of the times they have ran the ball on third and two or less, they have gotten the first down. Pretty damn good success rate right there. But on passing plays, just 53%. So it's basically a coin flip when they are deciding to pass the ball. A little bit better, but a coin flip on third and two or less to go. And I think Kevin O'Connell, who is 
a genius offensive coach. I think we're still really scratching the surface on how good this offense can be long-term and in this season. I think in these situations, this could even be more part of our State of the Offense episode on Purple Daily on Thursday. I think we're seeing now with the eye test and the numbers that back it up here that short-to-go situations, you just got to keep it simple, KLC. There's no need to get too cute. That's fascinating. I would... I mean, the, the ratio, you said like 32 passing plays versus 14 running plays. Yeah. It does feel like there's been a couple of high-profile stuffs on fourth down where they've tried to run recently. So maybe we're maybe we're taking the outliers where they get stuffed and saying like, well, why are you running up the middle? You know, why would you? But I think, I do think they have to be careful when they have a backup center to not just be like running up the middle behind a backup center sure. in some of these short yardage situations. But they've also shown the ability to creatively run Jet sweeps or yeah. pitch. Like, how many oh, times nice. have you seen like three or four times a pitch out to Dalvin Cook? So there's other ways you can do it besides running up the back of Austin Schlotman <laughs> to get a couple yards. You so, know what I'd love to see though on fourth and one, and I don't know if this is not possible. A flea flicker. <laughs> KOC. Well, no, it'd be great. A Statue of Liberty. KOC has maximized Kirk really well, but I would love to see where they had a comfort of Kirk just diving forward. And I don't know if this needs work or what, but the easiest thing is if your quarterback can just get the yard. And have C.J. Ham just shove him forward from behind, right? Actually, that's not that. That's exactly, yes, that's that's a, a great call. That or, would line up, or line up like an extra offensive lineman in the fullback position and just have him do oh, it. Oh, go heavy? Have, have, I would say have him just shove Kirk on a quarterback sneak. A heavy yeah, package? Ahead. Yes. Oh, God, I'd bring uh, I'd bring like Ole Udo out there and say, okay, we're not going to give you the ball, but you're going to line up as a fullback and just shove Kirk forward on a quarterback sneak. So it'll be just like 600, well, what's Kirk probably, 200? Be like yeah, 500 pounds of you guys trying to shove it across the uh, the goal line. Talking my language right there. Heavy package. Mm-hmm. Let's Go get heavy it. Line. All right. Back to me? Yeah. Okay, my statement is this. Screen gems. Screen gems. No, I'm not talking about the... Movie business, I'm talking about the Dalvin Cook screen that we saw for the what ultimately led to the two-point conversion, though, was the uh, tying points on Saturday. But Dalvin Cook, so so he has caught this year a season high of five passes. He caught four on Saturday. Going into Saturday, his highest receiving total in a single game in 2022 was 30 yards. He accounted for 95 yards receiving on Saturday, in large part because of that 60-plus yard touchdown. And I don't know if it was the Colts being awful. I mean, that certainly helps a little bit because they didn't look good on that play. I don't know if it was an alteration in the actual screen game and screen call. But whatever that was, that's what I've wanted all year long. And that's where Dalvin Cook can catch the ball and can go. And that play in and of itself is a fundamental West Coast play. But it's great because what does it do? It basically is a a run play – but it gets you out in space. Mm-hmm. So that was a screen jam. And the screen game, we've discussed this, has been awful. It's been terrible. And it's probably among all of the O'Connell things that haven't gone according to form, probably the most surprising. Because I think the screen is lethal. I think yeah. the screen is great. And every team, for the most part, can run a screen. So that was a screen jam. That's what I want to see more of. That's the t- exact type of play. Because you know what? Dalvin, at his age now, with with a head of steam going off the line of scrimmage, is dangerous still. And so can we bottle that up, and can we see that, again, used effectively? Because that play 
looked exactly like the screen game should, and almost nothing that the Vikings had done up to that point in the screen game had looked like that. That screen was funny too because it kind of it was kind of Dalvin Cook's current state all encapsulated in one play, which is he he can still move in in close quarters, he can still kind of wiggle his way into yardage. But if you ask him to just straight line run for like 50, 60, 70 yards, he doesn't have a full tank of gas anymore. And so he gets down around the 20 yard. The, the initial burst was there, right? He's there. He go. Oh, he's loose. There goes Dalvin. And then, and then the car starts sputtering as it gets to the 20 yard line and defenders catch up to him. And I think it was Ezra Cleveland that also caught up to him. He almost tackled him. And Ezra was trying to get to the inside to form kind of a wall, but he bumps into Dalvin and then just, it was a great play by Ezra. He then just kind of grabs Dalvin and just, like, carries him into the end zone, shielding him from defenders. Transports him into the end zone. <laughs> yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, you know, Dalvin's definitely not straight-line speed outrunning opposing, you know, 24-year-old uh, cornerbacks at this point. But he can still, in space or in uh, in closed quarters, he can still wiggle around a little bit and, I love and make it happen. Screen. Yeah, it's it would be nice to see it pop more often um a shout out to our friends at spiral light candles saw a couple pictures of spiral light candles nice holiday gifts here over the next couple weeks judd that's true sports dad sports dad is here to tell you that if you are and it's late i know but if you are our christmas week now looking for a gift spiral light candles is the place to go it's this simple spiralightcandles.com candles reinvented check out their Holiday savings at their uh, site right now. So many great choices. And that one right there, that's the Purple Positivity Candle. That's the one Phil is talking about. I got a few notes with Purple Positivity Candles saying I was burning this during the game. And guess what? It proved to be great luck. It also smells great. And as you can see, it's really, really cool. The candle burns spirally. But then once that's done, there's a big wick at the end that burns for a long time. Spirallightcandles.com. Great stocking stuffer, great uh, un- under the tree. It's going to make your wife, girlfriend happy. And if you're, you know, let's just say you're a little bit superstitious, the playoffs are approaching, get yourself Judd's Purple Positivity Candle and give the Vikings some luck. Spiralightcandles.com. Uh, and also, let's say hi to the official sports bar of the sports dad himself, Judd Zolgad. And specifically, if you're looking for a place for group outings, you got five, six, ten people, whatever it is, Park Tavern should be atop your list of places to bring a fun group. Fantasy football drafts, company gatherings, whatever it is. Did you say 10 people? Because I'm going to tell you right 20, now. 20, 40. 50, 75 people. They can accommodate any size group. They are fantastic. 1,000 people. There's bowling. There's bowling. There's two bars. This place is spacious. And they are set for, for you, so check them out, parktavern.net, parktavern.net. It's also a great place to catch the games. Um, it's also a great place to get a bite to eat or perhaps a surly beer or a different beer. You know what? Park Tavern, lo- located in St. Louis Park, Louisiana Avenue South, 952-929-6810, parktavern.net. Book your group today. And, guys, be a hero at home. If you've got the girlfriend's birthday, the wife, your mom, something, I don't know, for the family, you got a big group, Park Tavern is going to help you have a great time, and you're going to look like you were organized despite the fact that they will do all the work. You start at parktavern.net. I'll see you there because uh, it's 
sports dad in a sports bar is often at the end of that bar. You'll end. just see him there with his little Santa hat, just drinking. Oh, it's not oh. creepy. Come up and say hi. Ho, ho, <laughs> It's not ho. creepy. Come up and say hi. Say I, don't, hi. I think yeah. if you That's have to put a great way the, to make yeah. people feel comfortable. Yeah. It's yeah. not creepy. Come up and say hi. It's not creepy. Come up and say hi. It's not I'm weird. not creepy. It's, it's okay. You can come here. But. It's not weird. It's wild. See? <laughs> marketing slow generally if you have to you if you have to try and comfort people by telling them it's you know not what? creepy i'm it not is gonna creepy. you guys get off my back you made me you strong arm me bullied me into leaving that vikings game on saturday <laughs> i don't want to hear another word till christmas is done judda claus is very upset judda claus um all right i have one here this is my last statement i feel like i guess here's my statement anything is possible in a minnesota vikings game now whether they have a massive lead, we've seen them blow. Think about like going back to the Metrodome, U.S. Bank Stadium. We've seen them blow massive leads. We've seen them start the season 5-0, and 6-0 and and miss the playoffs. We've now seen them complete a miracle pass at the buzzer to Stefan Diggs to win a playoff game. We've seen them come back from down 33 points inside U.S. Bank Stadium. They've come back from down 20 points at halftime against the Broncos a few years ago, right? Yep. Anything is possible in a Minnesota Vikings game. That's my – they just played their thousandth game, regular season, postseason. Yes. And I think I think it was kind of a perfect encapsulation of Vikings football all in one day. It was generational meltdown for the first hour and a half, generational comeback for the second hour and a half. That's Vikings football and everything in between. This franchise is so weird. Not bad, because they've had a lot of good years, but they're so weird. I tweeted this last night. For the standard National Football League franchise, the 2022 Viking season would be nearing the top of, uh, I'll never forget that season list. Mm -hmm. I don't think this team makes the top five. In all-time like crazy seasons? It's It's getting pretty close, though. But, like, when you consider 2010, which was atrocious, uh, 2009, which was, you know, the Favre year, 98 with Moss, 16, they're undefeated, and then and then Zim B had some stuffed animals, and they fall apart. And at the start of that year, your franchise quarterback just sort of mysteriously snapped his leg in half, okay? Um, this year, ordinarily, I think, would be, oh, my God, this year is in the moment. It's great, and it's actually been fun. But like this franchise is just so such a roller coaster ride of emotions that like this this year, in my opinion, is still like it's knocking. Yeah. Let me in, and like 2009's like uh, not quite yet. There's so many things like the, you know they'll get a playoff game, and then they can kind of craft it from there. In terms of yes. like regular seasons, it's yeah, it's it's knocking on the door. But your your general point, I agree with, which is like. There's been so many ridiculous, crazy seasons. Right, any other statements from you guys here on this Monday? Uh, I don't Feel think good? so. Think I've got one more. You got one more? Okay. I've got Get it one out of your more. systems here. It starts on Saturday with, with uh, the Vikings, but extends uh, through Sunday as well. And, and of course, the, what, the uh, Packers and Rams are going to wrap up the week on Monday Night Football. But my statement is this. Recency bias included, I think this might be the craziest weekend of the National Football League I've ever seen. When you consider that it starts with, well, it starts with the uh, San Fran game against Seattle that Phil attended, but 
it starts craziness-wise, complete nutso, with a Colts-Vikings game that at halftime is a blowout, and people are tuning out and ends as the greatest comeback in the history. Sunday was filled with weird games, close games, and none of them might have been great games as far as, like, aesthetically pleasing, but look at the finishes. Look at the one-score games, and I give you to cap off the entire thing what I think is possibly the stupidest play I have seen in my life watching at least professional football. <laughs> yeah. And that is tie score, Vegas and the Patriots. And it's a so tie score. So last play of regulation. The Patriots, Mac Jones, hands off the ball, I believe, right? The guy is running the the Patriots back is running free and you're like, are the Raiders gonna tackle him? Then as soon as he runs in to two uh two Vegas players about, what, 25, 20 yards downfield. Yeah. He laterals to Jacoby Myers. Dude. Now, the score is tied. This isn't a desperation. You're just going to go to OT. Jacoby Myers decides to throw back cross field to Mac Jones, and it gets picked off by, what, Chandler Jones, and returned for a touchdown. Amazing. Just like, amazing incompetence. And people are kind of pushing Belichick after the game, too, and he just... You know, someone said, was there a, a coaching point in there at any point? Like, hey, if this play's going nowhere, just go down and go to overtime. And, you know, he, like, let there be silence for a few seconds. You know, we uh, we, we, we talk about situational football. We preach situational football. Made a mistake. Dude, what are you now, doing? The Dolphins game. The Dolphins meltdown. Is that three years ago now? Yeah. The last, the uh, Dolphins return for a touchdown. Yep. They kind of um, razzle-dazzled their way down the yes. field. Yeah. This is twice now, but that play, I'm sorry, that play is at least partially on coaching. If you have players who are that unaware, he clearly, and he must have thought that they were losing. Yeah, I don't know why you, I, well, or he thought, well, we still have a chance to win, so let's just keep putting, like, yeah, but they do too, if you. If, <laughs> but you're going to throw a cross. I mean, it'd be one thing if he lateral backwards and it got yeah. fumbled. That's like, oh, that's a major screw up. Well, why Plus, even call a run if, if you're the if you're Belichick and the coaching staff? Yeah, why right. even call a play there? What's the you're just you're gonna run you're just gonna run the ball up the middle and run the clock. Just take a knee and go to overtime or throw a pass. So at least if it gets picked off, now you have a hundred yards to, of space to stop them. I have no clue. super weird man. Ugh, anyhow, crazy league, crazy week. crazy league. Yeah. So all right, well that's your uh, your Mackie and Judd here. Your statements Monday. Over on Purple Daily, the last few days, we've got, if you missed the three-and-a-half-hour marathon that was Vikings-Ventland that we started at halftime, and then it obviously took a change in tone as that game progressed. You can find that. That has become the most consumed episode of Vikings-Ventline in the history of the show since we moved it to YouTube a few years ago. Yeah, we'll get the flag for that. Okay. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh. I'm not creepy. Come say hi. Yeah, I'm not creepy. Hey, kids. Hey, kids. Hi, kids. It's Viking Santa Claus. How are you doing? Definitely not creepy. Not at all. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow on Mackie and Creep.